We'll go like this. In this week's Parsha, Avram and Sarai become Avraham and Sarah, right? So what's the origin of their name and why does the name change? So you have Avram means the father of Aram, right? That was the land where he came from. That was his nation. That was his people. I realize now I could basically make up anything. No one's going to correct me anymore. It's very strange. This is a weird feeling. This is a weird feeling. Like sometimes I look and I'm like, I look at movie instinctively to see why is that? Is that? Is that, is that just, there's no. So father of Aram. What? Avamon Goyim. No, that's what it changes to. Avraham becomes Avamon Goyim. Exactly. Which means he goes from being just the father of his little group around him, his community. And then he becomes the father of all the nations of the world. Sarai means my princess. Sarah means the princess. Which is the same exact transformation. She was my princess. She was her little community. And then she became universal. So Rav Kook comes along and says... He brings in Talmud Masechus Brachos, Dafir Gimel Amad Aleph. It says over there that this whole part over here, this whole idea, but it continues and says that if you call Avraham, Avram, then you are transgressing a commandment in the Torah. But if you call Sarah, Sarai, it's not a problem. So the question is, why is one considered over on something? Why is it you can't call Avraham, Avram? But if you call Sarai, 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 then it's not a problem. So he says a very interesting idea. He says, Avraham, he represented a philosophical ideal. That's actually the opposite, I believe. Yes, it's the opposite. No, my friend. It's, it's correct the way I said it the first time. He represented a philosophical ideal. What was his philosophy? It was monotheism. That's not something which is necessarily specific to Jews. So therefore, therefore, it's not, it means when he's the father of all the nations, that is the truth. He is the father of all the people of the world, which means you could have literally Islam, lahavdil, lahavdalis. You could have Islam, Christianity, literally religions that have persecuted us and murdered Christianity us. Is not what? Christianity. No, so this this we learned in the Torah. There's some forms of Christianity which are, some are not. What? It's not clear. It's not clear. It's not clear. It's not clear. I think even the Christians say, when you say, "Oh my God," they're talking about God that created the world. Yeah, but. Yeah. Yeah. So what he brings over here, just a very simple idea, is he says, Avraham basically represented an ideal, a philosophy. That is something which is universal. But Sarah represented the Torah. She represented practical mitzvot. That's why you see by Sarah, it speaks about the miracles that she had. That is something which is only relevant to the Jewish people and not to any other people of the entire world. And therefore, you're able to call Avram by both names. Excuse me, only by the name which is universal. But Sarah you could call by both names. That's the idea. Okay? Then we continue into a fascinating idea. Which I'm sure everyone saw the announcement, which I think made people in Israel feel really vindicated and excited. That said, meaning sadly the reality, that people, Jews being here, saw the announcement from Israel. Which said, if there's a Jew anywhere in the world. And then on the bottom they added, oh, in certain places. But generally speaking, Jews outside of Israel either should be careful to hide their Israeli identity or their Jewish identity, or both if you're Israeli Jewish. You didn't see that announcement? Yes. Yes. Right? So the way it sounded, the way the headline looked on just basic superficial, the way it looked was basically anywhere. 
And then on the bottom, apparently someone corrected me and told me that it did specify, okay, if you're next to Dagestan or whatever that place is where the airport was overrun, you probably shouldn't be walking around with your Amakan Tzitzis in Dagestan. But it, the way the announcement was announced was basically anywhere. You know? This was from the Israeli Ministry of... The Foreign Ministry, yeah. The State Department of Israel announced this, right? So the question is then, very simple question. It's very practical to right now, as well as coming out in this time. This is not from the Parsha. What is the case in exactly this situation? What do we say? Should the Jews in Paris or England or in New York, or if you're on an Ivy League campus, should they walk around and hide their Judaism as best they can? What? Bikuach Nefesh, right? It might be Bikuach Nefesh. Should they walk around and hide their Judaism? Or should they say, no, we're proud Jews and no one's going to tell us what to do. And if they want to go and terrorize us, we're not going to give in to their terrorism. We're going to walk around and be proud Jews. What's the, what do you do? Practical question. Someone's on, I'm not even talking about, it would be, it's very sad reality. We're talking about this on Capitol Hill right now. Yeah. Yeah, we're not talking about Uganda. We're talking about Cornell. We're talking about Colombia. But huh? there is, like, if you know that there's going to be people that are going to be violent against you, you it's a question. Okay, so let's look. So there's one. I mean, even if it's So there's an episode, so I'm going to bring, I'm not going to, I'm not a posik. I'm not a posik, so I'm not going to paskin, because I feel like this is a paskin question, and I think each scenario is different. Like Dagestan, there's no question. Meaning if you're walking around Dagestan, you got to be, you know, you got to be, you shouldn't be in Dagestan. But if you're on Columbia or Harvard or Cornell or one of these campuses, what do you do? Okay, so I'm going to bring you an episode in Jewish history. Maybe you guys will agree if it applies, maybe you won't, but just this little episode, which is the time of Purim. Okay. It says in the time of Purim, all of the Jewish people would go and bow before Haman, right? Yet, Mordechai came along and he did not bow. Now, there is explanations which say that Haman was wearing an idol around his neck. And therefore, for Mordechai, it was one of the three cardinal sins that you don't, you're not over on them and instead you give up your life. So you could say it's a different scenario. But according to the Pshat, simple text, that's not what happened. Mordechai would not bow to Haman, Period. And the rest of the Jews did. So you could say in that case, seemingly, is a scenario where it's clear pikuach nefesh. It's not even a scenario where it's like, will he be killed? He for sure should have been killed. And the fact that he wasn't is miraculous, right? And yet he said, I'm not going to be killed. Now, what's fascinating that I want to go into over here is that it says the reason why Mordechai did not bow. This is the encounter that it writes down in Medrash, Esther Rabbah, Perik Zion, Pasuk Tess. It sounds like this. So Haman said to Mordechai, why won't you bow down to me? Your grandfather Yaakov bowed down to my ancestor Esau. Why would you bow down to me? He did it to him. You know, you think you're better than Yaakov? So he said to him, my grandfather Binyamin, as Mordechai was a descendant of specifically Shevet Binyamin, was not yet born when Yaakov bowed down to Esau. I am Hashem's nobleman, for all the other tribes were born in exile, but my grandfather was born in Eretz Yisrael. So what does it say over here? In addition in the Megillah, that's from a Medrash. In the Megillah it says, Mordechai describes him in Perak Bey's Pasuk Vav. It says, Asher Hagla Yerushalayim. Which means he was the Jew that was exiled from Jerusalem. Which means it identifies him. His identity was attached to Eretz Yisrael. And what it brings out over here is basically saying that what was the secret ingredient that made Mordechai a Jew that did not bow and made all the other Jews bow. It was not that he was Mordechai at Tzaddik. It wasn't because he was the most righteous man in the land. It's because he was an Eretz Yisrael Jew. Some Jews can live in exile, they can live in Galus, in Galut, but that doesn't mean that they're Galuti. It doesn't mean that their life has to be an exile life. 
Mordechai was one of those guys. He lived in Persia. He was steeped in physical reality of Golos all around him, but he was not drowning in it. He was not under the laws and effects of Golos. He rose above. And why was that? Because he was connected to Eretz Yisrael. Why? Because of his lineage. He was from Shevet Binyamin. Shevet Binyamin was the only Shevet which was born in Eretz Yisrael. And therefore he had that as an inheritance, which said, I am an Eretz Yisrael Jew. I'm not a Jew which bows down. And frankly, the reason why I read this, and I thought, wow, such a mind-blowing. Sometimes you read something, I think this was written, all this put together a few years ago. And right now you look in the world and you see that reality happening in front of you. I have not been to America since the war started. But since the war started, what I've seen around here in Israel, and I could be honest, you know, I've been very much in the Uriamin bubble. So I haven't been, you know, to all the places. I went a little bit to some bases, to this area, that area, but I don't live there. In Israel, I don't feel a certain feeling of depression or of being fear. Instead in Israel, you feel passion. You feel like warriors. You feel almost like this is like a Sparta atmosphere of like everybody's like, ah, we're going to war, right? Every time I look at an article, and I'm not putting them down. I'm not bashing them. I'm not saying we're better. Every time I look at an article or a picture coming from America, I see people crying. Everyone's standing and crying. And I'm not putting that down as anything. But it's, it's a different mentality. When you're in Israel, there's less of a fear. It's more of an action. It's more of a strength, right? If you're outside of Eretz Yisrael, you do feel very vulnerable. Because all of a sudden, it's a terrible reality. But all of a sudden, you look around the streets and you think to yourself, Wow, I am surrounded by a bunch of non-Jews. These are not my people that are here. All of a sudden, this comes out. Who knows what crazy lunatic. This guy can walk by in the street. God forbid. Over here in Israel, you walk around. It's like, okay, fine. You could be whatever label you want to put on. You could say, Haredi, Chiloni, Dati, Dati, Lumi, Dati. I don't know what all the exact things are. But we're all on the same team at the end of the day. We argue, we bicker, but we don't ever lose it on each other to that extent. And it's something which I think you see as a practical reality today. That at the end of the day, we're not Americans. We're not South Africans. We're not British. We're not Canadians. We're Jews that are connected to Eretz Yisrael. That is our core identity. And that's what makes us strong. That's the secret to our strength. When we're not connected to our homeland, we're not connected to Eretz Yisrael, we lose that and we become under the, the thumb of the nations of the world. Now to end off with these stories... What's the answer, what's the answer to where in America? What? What is the answer to where So seemingly from that episode of Mordechai, when Mordechai had to bow down to Haman and it was a clear case of he stood up for him, it would seem to me that especially America, I would imagine, where it's not 100% Ikuach Nefesh, I don't know the percentage, I don't know how you would post it, Paskin. I would imagine that you should walk around as a proud Jew. Because in continuation, which actually reminded me of what I wanted to continue, is that you see a second episode by Purim, which is fascinating. In a way, more fascinating. Because Mordechai is famous, and everybody knows Mordechai, Mordechai. But Esther, Esther went into the palace, and she was told to hide her Judaism. And we know from different little encounters that she went to extreme lengths to hide her Judaism. Which means... She didn't tell anyone she was Jewish, obviously. She would keep kosher through having a bizarre diet. She would eat only beans and stuff like that. And she told them, I'm vegan, basically. She basically said, I'm vegan. She had to live vegan her whole life in the palace because so nobody should know that she eats kosher. And then she just was eating kosher food. She even had, it says, seven handmaids so that none of the other handmaids would know her routine so that the handmaids she had on Shabbat didn't know she was acting differently than on the rest of the days of the week. And that was her personal request that she wanted seven different ones. So she went to crazy lengths to be able to hide her identity as being Jewish. I thought Ahasuerus said, don't worry about yourself. I need to create the kill. Well, that was at the end. That was at the end after she, that was at the end after she already had come out as being Jewish. She said, I'm Jewish and stood up for it. Right. 
So on the one hand, but listen how fascinating this is. On the one hand, we see, okay, she hides her Jewish identity, which makes you think to yourself, okay, you got to survive, hide your identity, fine. But then, when her nation was threatened, and it was on the line, and she had to go out and take the risk, she took the risk. She came and she confronted Agashverosh and she said, I'm Jewish, this decree of Haman is against my people, and we got to know the decree. And she stood up and she fought for it, and she revealed herself and took that risk with her own life on the line. Where, How am I connecting this all together? It's a good question. <laughs> not connected. No, no, no. The first part is from the cook from the pie shop. <laughs> what? No, no, no. The first part. No connection. But I'll tell you, no, no, no. I tell you. No, no, no. I didn't. When I thought of it, when I wrote it, the first part is a little piece of the parsha from Rav Cook. The second part I wanted to bring because of that headline really bothered me. So I thought to myself, what's the, what do we got to do now? If they put out this headline, all of a sudden we're going to run around the streets and be hiding. Meaning right now you want to fly to New York. You have to put on a baseball cap and tuck in your tzitzis in New York. Like, as if that, they don't know Yeah, as if. You're as not, if. You're not <laughs> I could do a little, uh, you know, God forbid, I could look a little Arab. That's the sad reality. No, so here is the connection. Now that you mentioned it, there's a tremendous connection. Okay. Now that you mentioned it, okay? This is a Baichsvar, okay? This is the connection. The beginning, what we spoke about, is how Avram and Sarah, they became leaders of their own people, of their community, and then they became leaders of the world, right? Then we're talking about, in the second part, of a question, is it to hide your Jewish identity or not? The third thing we're going to talk about is the stories of Chesed. So you could say, what does becoming the leaders of the world um, having your life threatened for being Jewish and chesed have anything to do with each other. They have one common theme with each other. We as Jewish people, if we are in touch with our identity, do not work by the natural law. That's the reality. If we ever thought we did, and you could hear this from every, I forgot which prime minister was, Ben-Gurion or someone like that, where he said, does Israel need miracles or rely on miracles? He said something along the lines of, if you don't believe in miracles, like this is not, the whole Israel is a miracle. You're not a realist. What? If you don't believe in miracles, you're not a realist. That's a line from, I mean, it's not, this is not, it doesn't matter how religious you are. Everyone knows the Jewish people are a miracle, right? So the first part starting off with being the leaders of the world, that's the key answer to the second two questions. The first one answers the second two. If you tap into the fact that you're a descendant of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and that's who you are, and you're Hashem's chosen nation, and you're the nation that Hashem promised would be like the stars in the sand, then you have no question when it comes to should you hide your Jewish identity. You absolutely should not hide your Jewish identity. Because right now, the world is, oh, who do we go by? Who are we this? And when you walk in the street and you're a proud Jew and you're strong, you're causing an effect today more than ever. People are noticing. Because people look out in the street and they're like, oh, there's a Jew. And the Hamas is what complex. Oh, how is he acting? Is he acting like a man? She's looking like a normal guy. Did he say hi to me? Did he say good morning? Right now, that's when we're called upon to be proud Jews and to bring our message strong to the world. So that's the way to me that they're connected, is that the first one answers the second one. And then the stories about being kind, the second and third are connected to me from the beginning. The stories about being kind is that that is our identity. That is who we are. One of the key parts that it keeps bringing out, if you see in the last Torah portions, is always speaks about chesed and kindness. That's Avram, that was like his go-to, right? Always kind, always having guests, always doing the right thing in that aspect. And therefore, to me, that's the... You see the thread of the thread of thought over there? So I want to share with you a story. I want to share with you a story. This is a story about Chesed. There's a guy who's a comedian named Mendy Pelin. 
You ever heard of Mendy Pellin? He's a, he's a comedian, a Jewish comedian. You've heard of him? No. No, 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 no. He's a firm comedian. Mendy Pellin, Mendy Pellin, this story I saw on H.com. Mendy Pellin is a Chabad comedian, okay? Which means not in, not in the Chabad world. I don't think he's big in the Chabad world. He does like kid stuff and stuff like that. Whatever, funny guy. Doesn't matter who he is for this story. He, in Chabad, there's a custom that when you go to a wedding, when they read the Rebbe's letter, they read the Rebbe's letter for blessing for a wedding under the Chabad, and everybody's supposed to stand up, right? So this time, he was in a wheelchair. And he was very, very embarrassed about being in a wheelchair. He broke his leg or something like that. He was very uncomfortable about it. He felt handicapped. So he was very careful that before he got to this wedding, and every step along the way, he was wondering how he could basically, like maybe he'll limp, maybe he'll walk around like this. He didn't want to show the fact that he was in a wheelchair. Everything goes smoothly. He's limping around. He goes from place to place. No one notices that he's at all hurt or anything. And whatever. Comes to the time where they say they're going to read the Rebbe's letter. And they say, could you stand up? Everyone has to stand up for the Rebbe's letter. He has to stand up on his legs fully. So then obviously it would be apparent. So he didn't want to stand. And all of a sudden everyone stands up. If you ever saw this happen by the wedding, everyone stands up. And he's sitting smack in the front row. And he's not getting up. So everyone starts newing. You know, when you knew, knew, you knew, and you knew, what are you doing? Huh? Everyone starts newing. The guy standing next to him, his name was Akiva Romanov. He's a shliach in Ukraine. And he looks to his side and he sees Mendy Pellin sitting. And he hops that something is obviously off. So he sits down. And they both sit there and everyone's doing, but he sits down. So now later on, they're not like, oh, whatever. They see this other rabbi sitting next to him, which is a very well-respected rabbi from Ukraine sitting down. And all of a sudden it was like, okay, maybe there was some reason they sat or whatever. So it's like, and then I'll tell you another story. In Lakewood, there was a guy who was going around, he was asking for money for a wedding, for a kala that couldn't afford to get married, she needed to buy a kala that couldn't afford to get married. And this guy starts going around, knocking door to door to ask people for money. So he goes to this woman, and he knocks on her door, and she says, yes, for sure, she'll get her money, she'll get her cash, she goes to her room, she looks for the money, everything, and she says, oh, I don't have the cash, I just don't have it on me right now, I would love to give you, she doesn't have it. So he leaves and he moves to the next house. Then after a few houses, somebody tells him to go to the yeshiva. Some of the guys over there will give you, so he goes to the yeshiva. All of a sudden, half an hour later, this woman shows up at the yeshiva out of breath, holding $20 cash. And she says, oh, I found it in my drawer, and this and that, and gives it to him. What's the story? She went and she looked, she found money, and she goes chasing after this guy like a lunatic. So what's the connection of all these different things? Right now, in the world, we are being challenged as Jews by every single news station, by every single celebrity. I've even seen there's some teens that are very famous. Today, anybody could be famous. As long as you go viral enough with a few videos, they're famous and they start asking celebrities. Everyone has an opinion on the Jewish people right now. Everyone's talking about their opinion on the Jewish people right now. Everyone. The key right now, if you're not a soldier, and if you're not on the front lines, if you're not doing that kind of work, is to be unapologetically proud Jews. Unequivocally proud Jews. Which means, for example, when it comes to Gaza, we're going in and doing what we need to do. There's no apologies. There's no, oh, oh, we're so sad, we're tail between our legs, we have to do it, and this and that, and how many did we kill, and how many did you kill, and what's the numbers, and what's the score. We're not, we're strong, and we're proud, and we're confident in what we are, and who we are, and therefore we get it done. <coughs> and that's the idea that we need to realize and we need to be strong about. You see this from the story of Purim. You see this from the story in this week's Parsha where Avram and Sarah are the, the, the princess and the Av, the father of all the nations of the world. When we have that mentality clear and strong by us, 
then we have no doubts. When we start being apologetic and we start being shameful and we start hiding our identity, then we have a big, big problem. Violet's over. Good. Good. Good.